I'm here with Father Barry Brom. You gave us a great retreat this year, a community retreat, and uh, you're completing your uh, your doctorate in dogma, the Angelicum, and mm-hmm. and tell us about the theme of the retreat you gave us. It was really appropriate for us. Yeah, so it was. Um, uh, it's something that's I think, in terms of graces for me for my vocation, um, I remember reading i think kind of early on in my formation um through like what's a list of kind of required readings which was specifically for you know to go through the spiritual doctors of the church and i remember a frustration um kind of you know reading these things that just seemed really complicated you know, in yeah, terms of like, yeah. i didn't even i mean i i had no idea i think especially when you get to kind of john of the cross i didn't know what even what he was talking about mm-hmm. on so many different levels and I remember kind of expressing that frustration in prayer, which is like looking for any time of advancement in the spiritual life, mm-hmm. but not even really understanding what they meant with terms of like moving forward and things like yeah. that. And I kind of felt like I just got a bit of a grace to go back and read again in a new light, which was to look what was common to all of the spiritual doctors, um, which was one, what I began to notice was a uh, an intimate knowledge of the scriptures that they had. So it's like, in all of their writings, that was common, which was that they would make some point and then there would be a line from the scripture that would kind of just back whatever mm-hmm. it was that they were saying up or was even the inspiration for why they said it. Mm-hmm. Um, and 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 widespread, like their knowledge of scripture was 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 deep and it mm-hmm. was um, um, also uh, not just simply simply like a, a kind of like a, a learning by by heart, but but a but a proper, integration or understanding like the depths of what was was um was written in the scriptures and so just kind of remember noticing that and say okay well that's everything else that they're describing seems to be effect and the engagement with scripture definitely seems to be at least in part the cause right Right. in terms of what and so that kind of really struck me and then the other thing was noticing as well especially with regards to mystical experiences or at least just kind of moments of real intimacy with God, how that always seemed to just kind of hover around the Blessed Sacrament, either like the reception of the Blessed Sacrament or um, adoration of the Blessed Sacrament or particular moments at Mass or things like that with regards to Christ's presence in the Eucharist. And also what you then saw throughout all of the writings was a um, how Christ in the Blessed Sacrament was central. Mm-hmm. to 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 their life in a, in a real way that was lived out. I mean, you can think of just, uh, for example, you know, St. Catherine of Siena. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I think it, you could, it would be close to all of her uh, mystical experiences or post-communion and Thanksgiving, you know, even to the point where mm-hmm. it says that she was, um, um, if it was getting time to kind of closing up churches, uh, they wouldn't want her to receive Holy Communion because they knew that afterwards they would have to wait until she was finished with this kind of big mystical experience, you know, intimacy with God and this ecstasy, and they wouldn't be able to lock up in time, you know. So right, it was kind of, right. you know, so you know, but um, and then Saint Teresa of Avila as well. It and was Francis, just, Saint Francis, exactly yeah. Saint Francis, and his initial call, which was that you know, I mean, in terms of like what he was really struck by was the yeah. fact that love is not loved, you know, and that right. was just this kind of deeply yeah. moved him, and also when he yeah. saw any. Um, indifference to the Blessed Sacrament. It compelled yeah. him to action. It compelled him to instructing the friars. Yeah. Um, and it's so I think that those I just kind of noticed, and that was I think just by grace, just to see the what is actually cause in the life of sanctity. 
yeah. rather than what are effects. And so sometimes when you're reading the spiritual writings, the doctrine of the church, you're reading like, um, I think was in, it was expressed by someone else. It's like what you see on the journey. It's like the peripheral things that happen. Like this mm -hmm. is what you can expect to see. Yeah. But the actual movement is is on is in in Christ Himself and specifically in His in His Word and in the Eucharist, which also then afterwards you can see kind of in terms of two main streams of encouragement that come out of the Second Vatican Council is particularly a call to the whole Church to deepen the relationship with Scripture, mm -hmm. but also that movement towards um, particularly adoration and times of adoration. Uh, yeah. with the Lord in the Blessed Sacrament. And so you can have, um, it's basically a spiritual life that is centered around the liturgy and the Mass, um, which is, you know, that table of the Lord's Word and presence uh -huh. the, upon which we feed. And then how that can also then and should flow out into our life. And I think that the two main ways in which that flows out, or it's like what um, is, is, you know, specifically the liturgy of the Eucharist, pours out into our life through also times of adoration and being with the Lord where, you know, we counter His presence. But then also um, how the liturgy of the Word flows out into our life through an engagement with the Word. And right. uh, so that um, we're, yeah, just spending time in that. And, I, and then I was struck particularly as well, so this is kind of a long way of kind of getting to the point of why I chose the theme. It's, mm -hmm. it's, it's just because it's had such particular interest for me throughout my um, yeah. Specifically, religious life and 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 then yeah. seminary information and priesthood um, is then also. Um, I remember reading in uh, especially Verbum Domini by uh, Pope Benedict when he speaks about that relationship that then exists between the Eucharist and Scripture, um, where each is understood in the light of the other. And yeah. so, what he says is that until we come to recognize Christ and the Blessed Sacrament, our understanding of Scripture remains imperfect. So there's such an intimate relationship there within the within between you know the scripture and the Eucharist, and that relationship obviously is objectively in the Word Himself, right? It is. Right. It is he is that link uh -huh. um, uh, as he kind of comes to us through human language in the Scriptures, but then how he is incarnate and and present to us in the flesh in the Blessed Sacrament. Um, mm -hmm. But then also is that there's an experience of Scripture and the Eucharist that is. Uh, what God has willed in terms of our encounter with Him. And so I remember just being really struck by what Pope Benedict was saying on that. And he ties it very beautifully into that scene from Emmaus, which is how there is an initial misunderstanding of everything that has happened with surrounding Christ. And you have a change of perception mm -hmm. and also a change of not recognizing Christ to then recognizing Him and valuing Him in His presence. Mm -hmm. um, as the scriptures are opened. So as the scriptures are open to them, not only do they come to understand Christ, but then also their capacity to recognize him increases, right? right. So that it's like because to 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 know him, that's like that's exactly what recognition is. It's being able to put a person to a face that we encounter. It's like, oh yeah, I recognize this person. Mm -hmm. So it's someone that is previously known. Mm -hmm. um, but now they are recognized when they're yeah. encountered. And I think that that's why it has a beautiful Eucharistic um, uh, note to it, that whole scene, which is that their recognition of him coincides with him disappearing from their sight and recognizing him in the breaking of the bread. And right. so it's like this culmination of, of, of coming to the Lord in the Eucharist that is preceded by uh -huh. an opening of the scriptures. And um, 
And so I've just been really struck by that, and that's kind of what I've been looking at with regards to my dissertation is just mm-hmm. those that relationship that there that exists there between the two, um, which I think is the it's the logic of the mass, it's the it's the logic of worship of God, um, it is the it's the cause of sanctification mm-hmm. in our souls because it is Christ Himself, and so it's to come to Christ and encounter Him as He desires to come to us. And I think that's also what's important as well, which is mm-hmm. that, um, you know, because it's, it's you know, mystical experiences in the spiritual life and all these things are, um, you know, are, are goods and can move towards uh, sanctification. But what is solid is, yeah. is that, is the actual real encounters with Christ um, mm-hmm. um, in, in, in that way in which he desires to kind of come to us. And so what that was basically when what then I kind of, chose for the theme for the friars retreat was because because of exactly what the, the charism of the community promotes which is a deep love for the lord and the blessed sacrament uh-huh. and then also the ministry that that you yeah, have eternal the, word yeah, exactly <laughs> it's our relationship to him but yeah. also and the proclamation of the word you know and yeah. that um and that those that is really what i think is just it's yeah. it's it, ha- it contains the most powerful evangelization and all those things you know and how do you describe like that the power in like in the scripture, like reading the, with the scriptures and praying mm-hmm. with them. I think I remember, I think Pope Benedict said something too about every renewal in the church mm-hmm. always revolves around like the word. Yeah. And I, I think he meant like the Eucharist and mm-hmm. his word, you know, but, mm-hmm. um, but had, I know our Protestant brothers and sisters seem like they have a good sense of that. You know, they're always yeah. praying with their Bibles, memorizing verses. Yeah. And, using it to guide their lives and uh yeah um so what well maybe let's talk a little bit of practicality i mean mm-hmm. you had like just five bullet points about like on the sheet you gave us about praying and mm-hmm. it was you know it was kind of very straightforward simple but uh can you talk about that power of praying with the scriptures and yeah so i mean it's um it, it's i think because it's, it's again it's, it's what the church was encouraging from the Second Vatican Council, and you kind of have a train of documents that kind of come after that, re-emphasizing both of those points. One is a movement towards encouraging and promoting Eucharistic adoration and the practice of adoring all in the Blessed Sacrament. But the other is that um, extending to all the members of the Church the invitation and the necessity as well of spending time with the Scriptures and with the Word. Because it's, it's different than reading other things that we would read. Like we mm-hmm. can pick up all of these books and even the lives of the saints Mm-hmm. Um, and read these things which can feed us in a real in a real way and in a very beautiful and a spiritual yeah. way um, but there, it's still not the same type of word that the scripture is because scripture is inspired word and so it's mm-hmm. re- it's written under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit so it's there's that dual authorship of scripture the human and the divine author mm-hmm. and that 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 inspiration is not something that is um, just a once-off activity mm-hmm. like if you want to think of I mean in terms of I find it helpful to you know, when you think of God's act of creation, there is a an act of creation, mm-hmm. but it is a continuing act, continuing act. I mean, he is always holding his creation in existence. Yeah. And I think it's similar with the scriptures and with the word. There's, yeah. the, there's that movement of inspiration of the word, but it is living word. It mm-hmm. maintains that living element to it. So mm-hmm. it's, and because it is living, it is also active as it is described in scripture itself, yeah. right? The word of God is living and active, sharper than a two-edged sword. Right. And it's able to penetrate into the interior and cut in a way, it says, like between like 
bone and sinew like right into like and i mean if anyone's actually worked in a in a butchery or anything like that (laughs) it's like there's aspects of kind of like these type of things which i think makes sense you know which is like the precision and the sharpness of what is necessary to do these things yeah and so like there's an activity that happens from the word because it is living and so not only it's not a one-sided activity so we we can engage the scriptures and read the scriptures and so we are active in that sense but we're also passive to something that then happens by the word where it's able to do in the soul things that that maybe we're not able to do ourselves and so there's like you know different insights from different saints throughout the centuries but also in the scriptures itself the lord describes this type of activity when he gives like parables about the word and the seed you know so the sower goes forth to sow as interpreted by the church fathers and the saints which is that that is the casting out of the word Mm -hmm. and as it falls into soil it falls into different dispositions for reception right and so you know when when that reception is not deep it has less effect or you know its effect is um you know maybe immediate but not lasting or like you know depending on on the type of soil um but it is really living and active. And so there's a, there's a process by which it is implanted in the soul. And that is a free-willed action on our behalf. And I think that's then the act of meditation. That's the turning towards the scriptures. Yeah. And, and It's like the, the farmer plants the seed, goes to bed, mm-hmm. and of its own power. Exactly. Grows. Exactly. Right? So you get it planted in your heart. And exactly. You were telling about a, as a teacher who... He, you project the scripture passage. Yeah. Tell us about what he. Yes, was it was just one of the one of the professors in 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 Rome, and and also just someone just had a real, um, you know, you can tell just a life of real love for the Word, and you could tell that even in his own, obviously in his prayer life, yeah, he just had such a respect for the power of each individual word in Scripture. You yeah, know? is that like that? There is this living reality to it, right? And so that's. Yeah. That you know, we we had a variety of different types of courses on on scripture, yeah. and some of them, you know, better than others. And <laughs> some of them, um, you know, and some of them just really would would, you know, just I don't know, just kind of far too um, too dry or clinical yeah. Yeah. in terms of the way in which it the the, the scriptures were approached. But then he was the he was like the opposite. He just had this beautiful approach where he just put up on the on the on the front on the projector on the board at times, just the words you know from specifically the Gospel of John. You know, yeah. you would just have like three words, and you know, yeah. it would just be like, okay, just read those and just sit with that for a while. Yeah. And at first you're kind of like, okay, I've read it, and he's like, no, just just sit. And then you okay, okay, and now you read it again, and then read it again <laughs> you think like where is this where is this going but right. but it's it's that it's that whole mystery is that eventually it explodes right mm. eventually it's just you're just like oh wait a minute yeah that yeah that's really interesting all of a sudden something grabs your attention now what is that because uh-huh. before it was like oh i know what those words are i've read that part of the scriptures before yeah. but then yeah. there's something to just kind of that giving them time to to kind of open um yeah. just by a real attentive looking at um which i think is the it's the marian example in scripture right like what does our lady do with everything that she you know especially Um, with the things that she doesn't understand that's what um romana guardini says about the you know the finding the temple yeah is that like she doesn't understand what he's saying and so he says that what our lady does is she takes those 
you know, all these things that she ponders in her heart, which are yeah. specifically the elements of the life of her son and his sayings and what he says and what he does. And it says and that she pushes them deep in her heart and she goes into years of silence, right? She just goes into this time of just real silence. And I mean, there's something just, it's beautiful. I think it's a right, you know, it's you're seeing something in Our Lady that is a right disposition yeah. for the word, the sower who has come, you know, Christ has come to manifest. As say Thomas says, everything that he does is for our instruction. Everything. So it's like it's his, his life is not just a kind of random series of events. It's it's divinely orchestrated right. from all eternity. Yeah. Every moment, the place, yeah. the location, the encounters, yeah. the details, the seasons, the days, mm. the everything, yeah. and um, and all of those aspects are for our instruction. You know, um, but there's there's. It's necessary to have a, a disposition for the instruction you know, to actually right. will to turn towards. And I think that's part of it is that because it appears it's like St. Augustine, right? I mean, it's like initially scripture was too simple for him. He read all the classics. He knew all of that. And it was just like the mm. scriptures were, were were just too childish in a certain sense Yeah. until they opened for him. right? Mm. Until he had that moment of conversion which is where, you know, take up and read. And so he takes up again. All of a sudden he reads with a different disposition. And it just, that was it. So that he had already it. read it at that point. I, I, mean, yeah. I, I mean, I assume, yeah. so maybe, maybe yeah. he hadn't read yeah. that exact part before. Right, right. Um, yeah. But he had, he had never, um, again, it's, it's, you can't approach the scripture in the same way that you would approach other texts or... or uh, um, well, I had asked a friend of mine, I said, why don't, why don't you read the Bible more? And it, I'm, I can't judge anybody for that, but I, I, I somehow was asking him in a nice way or something. But he said, because I don't understand it. Yeah. And, you know, I think we all have felt that frustration. You read it and it's like it doesn't seem mm -hmm. to be striking. or It's mm -hmm. almost like the more you have, you know, you'll be given more. And mm -hmm. uh, it kind of like snowballs as you put time into it and everything. Mm -hmm. But you draw heavily from the church fathers. Yeah. Talk about them as a resource for understanding. Well, I, and again, I think because it's it's what came out of the Second Vatican Council was also to go back and to look. Uh, I think that there was certain movements in um, scripture scholarship which are in part good and they bring a lot of insight that previously wasn't known, especially through certain historical things. But that also is that unfortunately some of it started with a, I mean, at times it was just a complete... Um, you know, atheistic exercise. You know what I mean? So it was yeah. like a disbelieving, um, even as a as a premise. Just right. like there's no such thing as miracles, there's no, and that's how yeah. you're going to come into the text. And I think yeah. so. I don't. I'm not even speaking about that kind of type of. Um, but then also there was like I think an unhealthy disregard for what comes before, and I think that's kind of part of the problem. I think even yeah. culturally at the moment, which is like yeah. there's no appreciation of previous wisdom. You know, right? <laughs> which right. is which is so hard one and it's only when you go back and actually start reading it you're like this yeah. is these are real pearls of insights you know right. and um so and especially it seemed like we call them the church fathers right because that's like a grace period they're near the initial exactly. event so exactly. they have a special anointing and yeah. that's exactly what the yeah. church says yeah. is that so not only is it what their insights are but it is the way in which they approach scripture which is also a lesson right, right. which is like they do approach it with a real delicacy uh -huh. That each word and each event and everything is speaking to us in with an infinite depth, right? It's revealing yeah. and manifesting um, God, you know. Right. So it has right. it has so much that could just be mined in terms of that work of meditation and, and prayer. Yeah. Um, 
and it's the source of, of, of you know, the definition of our, our you know, it's, it's where we draw all of our teaching and doctrine and everything, and everything is measured now by that one source, and, and, and so it's, um, um, but yeah, and so the, the return for me to the, to the church fathers um, was uh, just a wonderful, a wonderful grace, you know, because it's like, I found that when I read them, unlike when I read some other types of commentaries, that like your heart actually starts to, to burn <laughs> you know you're just kind of yeah, oh this yeah. is wonderful this is a very beautiful insights and like right. so you have a reaction to their interpretations um which you don't have and like i couldn't really ex you know like how do you explain that like why does this cause me to respond in the way that it does whereas this you know these other things don't right and um let's talk and, a little uh, bit maybe about the prodigal son i remember you mm -hmm. went over that one and uh and i preached on that many times but you were Pointing out stuff that I, you know, I hadn't thought about, and uh, like, what's something that maybe just strikes you, like the prodigal son? I always say, like, when I was a teenager, the one scripture I could tell you mm -hmm. was the prodigal son. Yeah, that's yeah. just a great story. It is I think we all story. love that story. It is a great yeah. story. Yeah, it's so vivid. Yeah, yeah, and it's you got a good God there welcoming you back. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. Look, it 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 is. It's it's a it's a beautiful. Um, and I think, like you say, it just it speaks to everyone's yeah. heart, right? Because right. it's like, and then I, like, but for instance, right? So certain things that I've found very helpful with the patristic insights on, on those that parable is the one thing that they do is they also relate it to other parables that Christ mm -hmm. gives. So the fact that he gives those three parables consecutively about the things that are lost, yeah. right? So yeah. he speaks about the shepherd and the lost sheep. Then he speaks about the woman who loses the coin. Right. And then he speaks about the prodigal son. And so they start to make distinctions between those three parables. And they like they give. So that's also why I find them very helpful is that they are helpful in terms of launching meditation. It's like they'll give mm -hmm. ideas where they would just like strike you right. that then start you thinking about it in a way because it's grabbed your interest. Yeah. And that's, I think, how, how we're built. As soon as something grabs our interest, all of a sudden we're awake to it again. Right. We're, we're, we're captivated. We're trying to discover because yeah. we are made yeah. to pursue meaning and and, deep, and as soon as like something starts to open like that where it's like especially where maybe we had previously thought we knew everything from that kind of particular mm -hmm. scene but then it starts to open again and you're like oh this has another layer and then this has another yeah. layer right. and that this just keeps happening and right. um so i remember that it was at first kind of looking through that scene and drawing out certain insights that they have and kind of spending time meditating upon it but then reading also is how they then tie it in with the other uh, those other three parables of the lost and that was I, just so fascinating because then it was yeah. like okay they do things like they'll say okay look at it from the lens of those who do the seeking and the finding or the welcoming and so right. like you have the you know the person of the shepherd and the woman and the father and so then what they kind of comment on I mean, at least some of the church fathers mm -hmm. is that that work of mercy you know that the father and i think it's saint ambrose he says um, um you know in those works of mercy christ is the one who has mercy the shepherd goes in search of the sheep the role of the church who is you know the in terms of as the woman who loses the coin and goes seeking for it shows us a particular role of the church which is particularly intercessory in terms of mercy and its application mm -hmm. so the prayer and the seeking out and the suffering mm -hmm. and the um and the work for for souls and, and then I you just, have the father who culminates right the one yeah. who welcomes to whom we are reconciled um, right. 
and uh, so I thought that was that was beautiful. Yeah, and I was struck about yeah thinking that as the woman as an image of the church, and mm -hmm. it, it seemed so wonderfully captured something like the feminine genius, um, mm -hmm. just turning this house upside down looking for the coin. Yeah, yeah. one coin out of was it yeah. ten or something? Out of ten, but, yeah, yeah. And it's like that one, yeah, the one, yeah, the feminine focus on the individual, the person. Yeah, no one lost, and yeah. we're gonna find it. You know, and if I have mm -hmm. to tear this place apart, you yeah. know, to, yeah. to think of like the tenderness of a woman doing that, like the tenderness of the of the church doing that. Yeah, and if you know, like you know, people fear judgment and mm -hmm. coming back to church. Like these guys are too holy, can't pray mm -hmm. with. Them. But if we saw the church as that loving yeah. mother, yeah. I was struck so, by, exactly, and like that yeah. whole thing of searching diligently, right? Yeah, that's what it says. It's like so she 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 searches yeah. diligently, and I love that. Like, and yeah. then even the details of how she how she, how she searches, yeah. and then also goes in search of the coin, and then right. that's the whole thing with like the church fathers. They have like, what does lighting the lamp mean? Like, she lights a lamp and sweeps the house, and so mm. they have all this commentary right. on those two activities, and yeah. you're like, oh, that's really interesting, you know, in terms yeah. of that lighting the lamp, as the church fathers say. That represents because what you have in terms of a lamp is you have a earthen vessel that holds light. And so mm -hmm. you have such a powerful image of the incarnation, which is the divine nature mm -hmm. as it is present in the human nature and united to the human nature of Christ. And so you have this. Then the first thing that the church does is the basically the elevation of Christ. Right. So in terms of when seeking souls yeah. is to lift up the light. Right? And so, exactly. Right. So yeah. it's this whole activity yeah. and then to search diligently or to yeah. sweep. And one of the church fathers says that that act of sweeping represents how the church in her role of preaching Christ is supposed to disturb consciences, right? So mm -hmm. those who have become comfortable in sin yeah. are then pushed to, to reconsider or at right. least to kind of be moved in their conscience again. Right. Um, right. The act of, of sweeping and disturbing, right? So yeah. disturbing the yeah. house. Uh, so again, it's just that. It's like in, in such one yeah. line, you know, there's just... There is so much that can be and drawn I guess out I thought, of it, you know. You know, too, it hit me during the retreat. Like these are parables, right? These are mm -hmm. uh, comparisons. I think literally mm -hmm. means, and mm -hmm. so it's like this, like an analogy. Mm -hmm. So if everything you say, everything obviously is symbolic, and like maybe the some very technical scholar would say, you guys are imputing too much meaning to it. Well, the story is symbolic. So what do the symbols mean? Yeah. Maybe we can go pretty deep into that. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And, uh, yeah. And also, is that like how, you know, um, how deep is too deep when you're dealing with the infinite, right? right. I mean, it's right. like in terms right. of, you know, yeah. it's like, is it just one, you know, one interpretation in terms of the literal sense? I don't think it is. Yeah. When you look at what the Lord does with regards to expressing what the kingdom of heaven is, yeah. look at how many attempts he makes in human language to express the reality of what the kingdom of heaven yeah. is. It's yeah. like this. It's like a mustard seed. It's like yeah. a pearl. It's like a, you know, it's just right. these attempts. Yeah. And so it's, you know, in all of those parables of what the kingdom of, of heaven is like, we're still only touching the mystery. Right. And eye has not seen, ear has not heard. It's yeah. not even entered our heart as to what we are. But this is the, this is at least a movement towards. Right. And so it's like, you know, can you go too deep into that? Absolutely not. I, I don't, yeah. and, and can you impute? Look, Obviously, the church sits as the final interpreter of these things. Mm -hmm. So there's a limit as to what can be said of these things. But that limit does, it's, it's more like just setting up what you can't say 
And, you know, you can move very deeply into what can be said and how that's understood and how that's... Um, yeah. And so it's... Um, and also that that's what the church has been encouraging, is that this is something that should happen right. at all levels of the church, uh, encouraging that type of like, at least Lexio Divina or an engagement with the scriptures um, to yeah. come to know Christ, to come yeah. to know him. Right. Um, and so like, because to seek to know him by other means is in a certain sense to kind of step out of the way in which he desires to be known, right? So like, yeah. it's a surer way to come to know him, uh, which is to go through specifically the gospel accounts and and I do think that they do offer us real access to the person of Christ and, you know, the, and his right. life. And that um, you can come to know him and, yeah. you know, and come to... Uh, um, what, yeah. what would you tell a person, maybe practically? Mm -hmm. uh, what should I do? Okay, you're telling me to, to adore our Lord in the Blessed Sacrament. Mm -hmm. uh, what should I do? I open the door to the church. I walk in. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Yeah. What do I do? Yeah, fair enough. I mean, look, I think the the first when you look at the Lord in the agony in the garden, like what he asks of his disciples is he just says, "Could you not watch one hour with me?" Which is just be there, be attentive, mm -hmm. be present. Mm -hmm. If that's all it is, it's still a fruitful activity. Yeah. You know? Like just to sit in his presence. So the one is like, yeah. "Okay, what should we be doing?" Yeah. I think the other thing to consider is what is done to us in those moments, right? Right. Which is like just by being in his presence mm -hmm. has an effect, a sanctifying effect on us. Yeah. Um, and so I think first and foremost, like there's there's multiple things to consider. Um, I think the only wrong way to do it is not to do it. Right, right. It's like so that's yeah. the it's like don't put off doing it because you yeah. know it's not. And I think that like that book we were reading, I was really struck by that book during yeah. the the evening, yeah. uh, the dinners and stuff. Um, Time for God, Jean yeah. yeah. And um, it it's which I think the point he was making in that is is really important. Which is, you know, just as we we learn all the things that we learn to do that are important in this life, like speaking and walking and all these things we learn them by doing them yeah and then that's also and we do saying, it our own way and we do it our own you know yeah. and so it's um even what he was saying then about um first and foremost the necessity of mental prayer uh, yeah. and how necessary that is mm. for the spiritual life yeah. um, but then also is that uh and i would i suppose you can you can take the same logic over to adoration as well and to mm -hmm. time in the lord's presence which is that perseverance will bring quality, right? Mm -hmm. So it's like it might start badly, right. but start badly, you yeah. know, start badly. Don't right. not start because it right. might be bad, right? right. It's like it's that there's a certain humility that we have to have. Like I think mm -hmm. that when coming to these things, that is, it's it's just start because it's yeah. you. We know it to be good, and I might not know how to do it, but I'm not gonna perfect doing it without doing it right, right. i'm not going to kind right. of come to it like with a in just an intellectual way and then practice it perfectly yeah i think just being there with the lord will then eventually it produces a an increase of quality if you want to say it that way right. you know, but right. it, but it's I, I just think it it um it works things in us that that can't that you know that are done most powerfully in his presence right um and so one, it's for his sake, which is that he's deserving of adoration mm -hmm. and he's deserving of our time. Mm -hmm. And uh, and then the other is is also because of what he then in turn gives to us. And then, look, I think there are things to say, okay, well, but then what can I bring into that in, in terms of making my prayer you know, uh, maybe more fruitful? Or, or um, uh, And that's where I also think that scriptural meditation yeah. 
it helps on so many practical levels as well because one of the big troubles in prayer is, is distraction, you know. Yeah. And so what's helpful for distraction is having something that our mind can come back to. And mm. so if you have, and then what that is, is important. And I think that's why it's also important. Like if you have the life of Christ in the Gospels as something, or at least a particular scene that you're thinking about, and that's all that mental prayer and meditation mm -hmm. is, just mm -hmm. thinking about. Mm -hmm. It's not, it's, it's, you know, it's not, it's not some complicated um, right. kind of right. thing of like emptying your mind and this. Yeah. And it's yeah. a Christian meditation is filling our mind. It's, right. it's filling our mind with what our mind is made for, which is God and his truth. And so, and that's most powerfully and perfectly communicated to us through Christ, who right. is the one who reveals. And so, you know, if we have a scene from the Gospels, let's say in prayer, and like you, we're sitting there meditating on it, and then we're thinking about it, and we're kind of going through it, and initially it might be dry and difficult, but then all of a sudden something starts to stand out. We're like, oh, that's interesting. And then we kind of start to think about that more. But then I realized I'm getting distracted. As soon as I realize that, well, I have something that I can bring my mind right. back to, you know. And so even if that has to happen, however many times yeah. in prayer, what we're doing in that process is learning a habit of recollecting our mind on Christ. And eventually that just becomes more and more That's habitual. That's what St. Teresa said that even mm -hmm. if we just spend the whole time bringing our mind back, she said, that's good prayer. It, it, <laughs> it, I mean, it, that's, yeah. you know, it really is because, yeah. um, because then you can also see how then our moments in prayer flow out in terms of good habits into our daily life, which is like all of a yeah. sudden those things become, which is what the habits are, it, it, they become second nature, right. the recalling of our mind back to, back to yeah. Christ. So the actual right. process of fighting distraction yeah. forms in us a very good habit by which yeah. we kind of eventually, just by second nature, start thinking about it. You, you know, know I, the older I get too, I, I appreciate like the Catholic faith and like going to confession, mm -hmm. being able to go to adoration, having a place to genuflect and kneel before mm -hmm. God, mm -hmm. going to mass and the rosary, praying the rosary and stuff. And it's like we have these things to do that there's these great sources of grace in our life that I need. It's like I need something to break into my life, to fix mm -hmm. me, change me, yeah. help me, yeah. you know, and I... We have that. We can go and confess yeah. our sins and start again. You know, we can yeah. go and receive Him in the Eucharist. And uh, you know, uh, sometimes we get criticized. Well, it's you know, it's all about personal relationship. You know, it's not about these actions and stuff. And but it's like you know, these actions are forming that relationship, right? Yeah. And, um, yeah. And it's I just see it as such a blessing. I I want to ask you this: that you know, you've you grew up in South Africa, you mm -hmm. spent time in the United States, you've spent mm -hmm. time in England and France, and mm -hmm. you've seen a lot of life around the world, as you can yeah. say. Yeah. What do you think like today is some of the challenges for us? Somebody's listening to this, maybe they're struggling with their faith mm -hmm. or getting into this whole Catholic thing. Mm -hmm. um, what are some of those challenges? How do we overcome them? I, I think one of the And I think it's a reason why time of quiet mental prayer is so important mm -hmm. is because I think we live in a hyper-distracted culture. So it's, it's the problem with that is that in order to have a real kind of recollected connection with God in our interior, which we're called to in terms of a, a permanent state, right? Always kind of 
holding ourselves in his presence. And I think that part of the noise of the culture is, is at war with that. And so I think that it, it's manifesting itself. That type of interior distractedness is manifesting itself in multiple ways in the culture, specifically in terms of suffering, where people are kind of like either the increase of anxiety or all these other things that are coming out, where also people are, we're all kind of losing a capacity for deeper thought, deeper reflection, um, you know, everything's too immediate now, you know, so it's mm -hmm. like too much is said that is unreflected right. and too much is, you know, we have everyone's opinion on everything all the time. Yeah. And it's just, I, I, and I the just sad think part, like our young people, mm. the reflections they're hearing are like, you know, TikTok people or whatever. Well, it's, it's like superficial one-liners <laughs> right, in terms right. of, so like solutions that are yeah. proposed to problems. Yeah. are just so superficial and so ineffectual yeah. if they were actually to be played out that it isn't a real solution. It's only right. compounding upon the problem, which is like, you yeah. know. And then also what comes is a... Um, so when things become oversimplified, they also become sensational, mm. right? So when we lose the capacity for nuance and for actual deep thinking about things, everything becomes sensational and then everything becomes highly polarized. And so, like, I think that's also part of the problem. I, I, I mean, look at look at the polarization that exists in politics now, you know, which is, you know, what used to be two good branches of governing a, right. a, a country, you know, two yeah. necessaries, right? One which yeah. is which holds more to what was before and the other yeah. which pushes on from stagnation, right? Yeah. Like right. these two were kind of what they should be doing. Yeah. Um, just become these kind of opposing opposites. And so many countries are like, at that. You know? Well, I think that's a worldwide thing. So that's what yeah. I mean. It's like, yeah. it's not just, I think it's, it's, it's unfortunately, um, yeah. well, maybe not worldwide, like where there's, right. you know, dictatorships are another issue, you know, <laughs> but it's, uh, but it's, um, you know, it's, 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 I just think that it's, there, there's, uh, there's, it's just kind of this frenzied way of trying to deal with things. And yeah. then a panic that comes because of this polarization where there's a real, um, anyway, there's, there's a lot that kind of comes through that. And so I think that in part, it's this necessity for just more times. And you can see it, like there's a cry in the culture for it, where it's trying to like find other means of doing what I think comes through mental prayer and that time with God. Mm. Like there's other attempts in the culture to try and achieve those effects by other means. So it's like right. you see like a big push in the culture to like type of like Eastern types of meditation yeah. or like trying to, you know, this like mindfulness push or yeah. whatever it is to try and accomplish what is only really done through well, this know, other type. I, of I heard like, on a, I was in this productivity kick one time listening yeah. to these podcasts. And, <laughs> and uh, yeah, they were, I was surprised. There were people just talking about just med meditation, like calming yourself. Yeah. And that yeah. was a vital part of their day. Yes. But the other one was just like doing things for other people. Like you're in line for coffee and you, yes. you give money to, to get the next guy's coffee. Yeah. And they were just talking about from a secular point of view of like having this attitude in business yes. that will draw people to your business. It was like a very, yes. it was kind of still profit motivated, <laughs> but it was like they were discovering upon, yeah. Like, fundamental Christian values of giving of yourself, yeah. sacrificing, 
prayer. Yeah. And that actually the things that were previously criticized about the church as if these were oppressive things that the church imposed upon the faithful right. are actually things that are not only beneficial spiritually, but yeah. also have physical yeah. benefits, things like fasting. I mean, how, right. many, how much time you hear so much? In, exactly. And this is the new thing. You know, we've got to do this. And it's like, well, these, this is in the wisdom of the church and her disciplines. Yeah. These things are not... Uh, I mean, it's it's there, there's great good there, right. and that the whole right. person is considered in terms of you know what God wants for us, which is like a a, a life that is rightly ordered, and it affects right. us on every level of our life, natural yeah. and spiritual, supernatural, you know. Yeah. And um, exactly like you know, like you say, it is this kind of there just you know this rediscovery of all these things that are really beneficial to us, and it's like I wish we had known this before. And it's like well. <laughs> I literally you know, had that conversation yeah. with somebody. Oh, it was like the, uh, what do they call it? The minimalism kick. Which, oh, yeah. <laughs> thank goodness. I mean, thank goodness. People are trying to live more minimalistic. Yeah, and this yeah. guy was talking to him. He's like, this is great. This is great. This guy's a devout Catholic. And yes. he's thinking, it's in the scriptures. Yes, you know, it's like St. Yes. Francis based his yeah. whole rule on that. You know? yes, yes. And like he had heard it like for the first time. Yes. Like, what? And the freedom that comes from the, you know, yeah. that type of, yeah, yeah. this detached kind of life you know and i think look but i i do think that unfortunately i think that's another danger you know it's interesting you read um who was it um was it in um i'm not 100 percent sure of this i can't remember if it's in uh um saint john henry newman when he writes on you know the spirituality that is antichrist right mm -hmm. which is that it's just subtly not Christ so it can have all the elements of religion oh, but without right. Christ you know right. and I think that's also in part what's kind of coming into the culture yeah. um, which is a an embrace of these things which are supposed to have as their final purpose the good of the soul right but it can just subtly come kind of fall in below that in terms of its <laughs> final goal right which is like you know and I think that that's you know it's it's the same thing that they can also it can happen on so many levels of life when God is lost you know when you is, say uh, it it's uh, it sounds like it's too much I mean can the church overcome this can the gospel <laughs> overcome it? they're too clever it's too much it's, it is it is but I, I do think suffocating. it's like it's the way in which the subtlety the subtlety of demonic action and evil is always overturned by the simplicity of the childlike uh -huh. you know and I think that that's like where you I, I love like um, was it Malcolm Muggeridge when he spoke to uh, St. Teresa of Calcutta? Mm -hmm. And like he said, you know, I, I, I think the Lord wants me outside of the church because I have more influence out here. I'm able to yeah. appeal to people and draw them in, you know, and everything. And he gave this whole long explanation. And she said, no, he doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> and he converted, you know, just like this. It was like, yeah, that, it just put an end to a right. type of, you know. So I think there's the... He wants there's you. A, exactly. He wants exactly. Me. And I think... Um, yeah. And I just think, so I think it's it's not about trying to meet that kind of complicated, subtle, because it, it is always going to be subtle. You know, it, yeah. it says in, 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 in Genesis, you know, the, the devil was the subtlest of all God's creatures, the serpent, the serpent you know, so he's the mm -hmm. most subtle. So in terms of thought and deception, it's just that it's at a level where, you know, it's just, it's not something that we can meet of our own selves, because yeah. the thing is, is that it's, um, it will appeal. It'll it'll appeal to aspects that are true and that are fundamental to our nature. That'll right. draw, but it's again can just be just slightly off, you know. And it can yeah. have devastating consequences. Yeah. And I think that that's why the the move towards that is something that's just very 
simple childlike faith um, which was the reading today yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, can you you talk about too about the role of reverence um i just heard father benedict rochelle they had a reflection of his on reverence and uh and he said he loves reverence wherever mm -hmm. he can find it he sees it and i knew just what he meant there's something and not done in a showy way or uh, mm -hmm. draw attention mm -hmm. but just some piety and uh, mm -hmm. you you exude that when you talk things <laughs> you have a reverence and uh how does that how do you see that the importance of reverence in our lives so i, th I think that um i can understand like when um because particularly with ex especially when you're thinking of like exterior reverence mm -hmm. you know there's there's a there's a healthy um I mean, there should also be, a, you know, we because we, we don't want to just create something that's that's um, hypocritical, right, or something mm -hmm. that's just purely exterior. Mm -hmm. And I think that in part, like you know, there might have been in the past, you know, where that's what it was, something that appeared exteriorly reverent, mm -hmm. but lacked any mm -hmm. interior um, conformity to what was exterior. Right. And that I think is it's you know. I think all of us we find like everyone finds hypocrisy particularly distasteful right, right it's like right. and right. so they but i think that there's a wrong swing then in the opposite direction yeah. which is like okay until it's right in the interior perfectly then yeah. we don't need to focus on the exterior and i think right. that's the wrong swing of the pendulum right it's like going yeah. too far the opposite direction because acts of reverence and piety in our own life they assist with interior disposition as well and so like to create environments of reverence and it, it can help the interior to move towards a goal that maybe isn't perfectly yet in conformity with what is exterior but at least the interior is moving in that direction and i think that that's also where reverence plays a goal but also is that our worship is something that is should be all permeating it's not just something that is interior but that there's a exterior actions and, and things that also manifest a right. um, a continuity between what is believed and how it is lived yeah and that that's that's a true that's true for the principles of in terms of worship in the church which is that as yeah. we believe so we worship right so there's a there's a you know um so yeah so i think uh, you know things can always go off normally on both ends of the of the ship you know but well, even it's uh when i was listening to these productivity yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they said they had a better way of saying it but basically it's like sometimes we wait for the inspiration mm -hmm. and then we do the thing mm -hmm. but the way it works is we start doing it and then the interest then the zeal then yeah. the inspiration comes yeah. it's like we start to do something and realize hey this is a lot more complicated nuance and yes. i start doing it i learned yes. more about it yeah you know, i always say like alabama football you know we're obsessed with football and mm -hmm. i remember one time it was in the summertime the tour de france was on i opened up the paper wanting to read about the tour de france and they're talking about Alabama football practice. Yes. Like the this, this season hasn't started. Yes. <laughs> and they're talking about who dropped the ball in practice. <laughs> and I'm thinking, yeah, no wonder we're We're constantly reading about it. Yeah, yeah. some of the game, I'm interested, right? Yeah. yeah. And so I think like the acts of reverence, like the physical gestures and things yes. can help foster that faith in us. Yes. You know, it's like a... A reminder i don't know if that's the right word but it's like it's putting our body through these motions that mm -hmm. form the interior mm -hmm. and um so it's important um mm -hmm. I, I was on a retreat one time i was given a retreat for a small group and we were in this big house and 
we had to set up this room as a chapel, but it was, you know, it wasn't enough room. And, and I had the Eucharist in a monstrance and we had to move it temporarily to set something up. And I remember I put it on this table and it just wasn't right. Mm-hmm. And I remember it was like, oh my God, this is right. Yeah. <laughs> and I was surprised. It just kind of shook me. Mm-hmm. And I don't even know, it was just, it was just kind of powerful. It's like the lack of, of keeping reverence here, for mm-hmm. like a moment. I don't want to exaggerate or whatever. Mm-hmm. I think it was kind of a grace God, whatever gave mm-hmm. me, but it was just how important it is. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. I remember growing up, Yeah, they, we had the tabernacle off to the side in the parish and, yeah. And we would receive communion, come back, kneel. Yeah. And then when they would propose the Blessed Sacrament, everybody would sit down as they yeah. finished the ablution yeah. or whatever. Yeah. And and I, I couldn't articulate the theology of the mm. real presence. Mm-hmm. And even at the time, I'm just like looking at the time. Where are they going to put mm-hmm. it? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, yeah. Yeah. But it taught me there's something special about yeah. the tabernacle. Yeah. yeah. And fast forward, like 10 years later, I'm in college mm-hmm. and I was worried about a health diagnosis thing mm-hmm. i remember i went to the church and the tabernacle there was way off to the side yeah and i i went i made a beeline middle of the week went to the tabernacle to pray again not being able to tell you yeah anything about what the real presence was yeah but i just knew there's something special there yeah yeah and, and so I, I think we teach so much yeah we learn maybe that's yes. a better way to say it. we learn so much yeah. through acts of reverence. yeah I remember a priest said to me as well as like, um, if someone were to follow you around for, you know, just for a period of time, give it a day or whatever it was, like, would your life manifest the doctrines that you believe in? Right. So right. Like, so right. like, if you believe in the real presence. Yeah. And then also yeah. like, so what does that, what does that look like then, mm-hmm. you know, to like, right. in terms of right. belief in our life. And so right. like, there's a, there's a conformity of life to not only the belief of the real presence, but also the dignity of the person who is present, yeah. you know, and so that our yeah. our actions and dispositions should be in more in conformity with yeah. that, you know. And I think, look, maybe in past centuries when there was, you know, reverence to earthly figures, mm-hmm. it was then more helpful to have exteriorly, at least, you know, how to show reverence to God Himself, right? Mm-hmm. Was because like things were done for kings and you know yeah, all this kind yeah. of thing. You know, whereas it now it's yeah. like politicians. You know, I mean? if, that's, if that's the way we, yeah. you know, but there's something of um. That's especially just, true in America. Yeah. We don't have royal family. No, we don't have any kind of tradition uh, like that. But it's it's all. I think. Yeah. Look, I think that's being kind of lost. Yeah. Uh, that's being lost. But I, you know, so this this um, it's it's that it's 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 uh, and we also learn from the glimpses that we have into heaven from scripture as well, especially like yeah. you know those visions of heaven. We learn from those expressions in human words through yeah. Scripture yeah. what the right activity is which surrounds God and His throne. Right. You know, and so you have all of these things of like the falling down and the mm-hmm. humbling of themselves and the kneeling and the praising yeah. and the uni- and the kind of united singing and the right. it's just every you know, and every aspect of what they do is 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 orchestrated with perfection and reverence yeah. and holiness. And so that our our worship on earth is trying to the best of our ability to reflect that, but in a way that also maintains, right? That the interior disposition matches the exterior, right. but also that, and neither is lost, not right. one or the other, you know? And um, yeah. 
And I think that that's uh, St. Peter's Jew Neymar, he has a great expression in yeah. terms of reverence where he, like, he speaks of what he thinks should be a holy competition between heaven and earth. He's always looking for oh, heaven and earth. Yeah, heaven oh, and wow. earth. And he says wow. like, and, and he says, initially you might think, I mean, I'm paraphrasing what he says, but initially you might think that it's obviously it's not possible for us right. to kind of match yeah. what the Lord receives in heaven. But he says, but there's an added value to those who worship in faith as opposed to those who worship in vision, which in terms of merit, right? Like, so like specifically that when we worship in, in, in darkness and in, in faith and without seeing and everything like that, there's something that's particularly sweet to our worship as well, you know, mm. which is, is that it is, it requires an effort because it is done in faith, which mm. is like, so we, we because, you know, because we see by faith and not by the sensible things, so then also it becomes important for us that the sensible things encourage the interior sight in a certain sense. So it's like, right. you know, that we have things that are point to a worthiness of Christ and his presence yeah. in the sacrament and that the liturgy, right. you know, plays out in a way that that, yeah. that is also that type of holy reverence is manifest and that it's, it speaks even so that it's like you said, you know, even of your, and that was a very similar experience that yeah. I had growing up as well, yeah. is that, you know, my first experiences of benediction when I was young and my dad would kind of take me yeah. and things like that, not not having a a, a proper understanding yeah, of what was happening. Yeah. And um, and but at the same time, knowing that something is happening, yeah. right, like yeah. something and something beyond what is just kind of, you know, yeah. there's, there's something special here. And um, I just I yeah. was talking about with somebody today. We were I had the moon mass in the lower church just mm-hmm. a crypt chapel. It's a flat ceiling. And she mm-hmm. said, I just. She said, I feel the presence of God more in the upper church. Mm-hmm. And I, I just threw out there and tried to be the smart priest. But, <laughs> you know, maybe like the, just the shape of, you know, like the high yeah. ceiling, the vaulted ceiling, whatever. Yeah. It yeah. just has a spiritual quality to yeah. it. That, that, it yeah. Actually, in yeah. terms of architecture, like in terms yeah. of the old cathedrals, that was one of the kind of building principles was that right. it would always be higher than it was wide. Mm. And so that, you know, that, that there is a... A, a movement, movement up a movement up yeah. yeah and that the 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 sensible things are yeah they do um they do assist and I, you know I, I think like the well Vatican II talked about like personal piety and mm-hmm. you know how vital that is to a you know to our eucharistic life mm-hmm. and you know am i praying outside of mass do i have adoration mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. you know that kind of thing to cultivate that reverence piety and just going to confession too to mm-hmm. to prepare yourself and you know I, I've had a sense of that at times too you know it's like you know Mark don't mess with this mm-hmm. you know you know it's like a gift to believe mm-hmm. in the real presence yeah you know, it have, is it is I have a, you know the sympathy you try to because we you know I remember one time mm-hmm. here in the shrine and that um, this a bus pull i mean a van pulls up and it's a protestant church group mm-hmm. and and they got out and you know the ladies have the handbags and everything and they're just kind of quiet looking around and they feel real uncertain about all you know it's yeah. like yeah. you're in enemy territory so but I, I you know i just i just thought i get it yeah eight foot tall monstrance yeah eucharist yeah. genuflections yeah. how do i explain that yeah you know and yeah. and it's it's a precious faith, you know, mm-hmm. if we, if we're not repenting of sin and, mm-hmm. you know, we could, we could be toying with that great gift. Yeah. 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 I think you're absolutely right. Like, say, you know, cause you know, it's, it's uh, what, um, 
St. Thomas speaks about in terms of grace is that also the effect that it has on the soul in terms of our taste for spiritual things. So like when right. we're in sin, it's like when your body is sick, yeah. you lose a taste for actually what helps the body to become, yeah. you know. Yeah. And the same way is like when the soul is sick, it loses right. a taste for, for the right spiritual things. So right. to be in grace then opens the soul to actually even be desirous of those things in any yeah. way. But also I think that, you know, what you read in John chapter 6, like that shock of what the Lord proclaims there is always the case. And the fact mm-hmm. that it is difficult, this is yeah. this is a hard saying, right, is a right. constant and perpetual reality. Right. And even Peter's response to that, which is like, who else can we go to? So like as he's even trying to get into this mystery, he knows yeah. one thing for certain is that, look, First of all, it's just he has said this, therefore it requires more mm. contemplation. It requires a deeper mm. understanding. Um, and that, uh, But it is that difficulty. And I think that you're right. Is to know what we know, especially, and then to believe what we believe, is just an, an incredible gift. That should, yeah. you know, there should be a response, um, a right response to the mystery of being given the gift of believing in the Lord's presence. And then what right. a consolation that can be. And like, I mean, I couldn't imagine... Um, Many disciples left. Yeah, many, but but there's also... (laughs) um, I I remember um, a a person that I know um, who kind of drifted from the church for a period of time. And and then when he came back, uh, kind of what really drew him back and then eventually was kind of confirmed for him when he was able then to receive Holy Communion again. He just says it was just like being embraced again. It was like just this embrace that he had known from his childhood and he had known from experiences in his past where it was like this, um, it was just that, that was it. It was just, he knew it was just this central experience of his life that he could then, um, uh, was then always looking for when he left it and moved away from it, but didn't really know that until he kind of come back and experienced that, that, beauty of actually being in grace receiving the lord in holy communion and and being back in that embrace you know you know there's there's that movie made by martin scorsese silence about the japanese martyrs and the missionaries Uh, oh yeah andrew garfield is in it Uh, okay okay and it was i mean you know scorsese's a genius yeah yeah it's a powerful movie it had the most horrible message you you can imagine (laughs) it was like basically it was endorsing apostasy Uh, and but they had this one character in it so the the priest you know the missionary priest gives up the faith and works Mm -hmm. with the government to persecute christians Mm -hmm. and but they have like this one annoying believer who is always sinning falling away but he keeps coming back to him to confess mm. i'm surprised scorsese left this in the movie because mm-hmm. you know the guy garfield plays this very sympathetic character yeah. you know he's not mean or anything mm-hmm. you, know, you can't criticize people falling away into torture i mean that's mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. there go i but it's like the guy would come to him and i think i think garfield the, car, the character would give him um uh, confession, mm-hmm. absolution, but it was always a risk. You know, he was yes. risking something and all this. Mm-hmm. And the guy was kind of neurotically coming back. But I, I thought it was really beautiful. Mm-hmm. Even even in the guy's, all his weakness. Yeah. But he's coming back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, he hadn't quit. Yeah, yeah. And 
I thought that was so beautiful because we can be discouraged by things, but you know, yeah. when we come back, when we come back to the sacraments, when we keep persevering, yeah, you know, we move forward, yeah. and um, yeah. so there's life there. Yeah, that's yeah. like a. Um, it is. It was one of the things that really struck me about, um, you know, uh, *Brideshead Revisited*. If you ever, yeah. yeah. you know. And through that whole character, you know, Sebastian, like has yeah. this kind of right. similar thing right. in his life where it's just like this, just yeah. in his brokenness, he just has a particular weakness to things right. that he's always right. turning to yeah. and then always struggling to come back to God yeah. and always going. Yeah. And then it's how his like his young pious sister, how she explains the way God's mercy works, you know, kind yeah. of drawing on that image of Christ, you know, Christ the fisherman who kind of this fly fisher who kind of leaves leaves the line and lets them run, you know, <laughs> you know, lets them run to tiredness, right? Basically. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then just one tweak on the line draws, draws the soul back. Right. And to be like, cause you know, you have um, Charles Ryder, the, the main character who is concerned about Sebastian, but she isn't like, cause he's like, yeah. you know, she says, no, you know, he'll, I, don't, I can't remember exactly how she described yeah, it, but yeah. like, you know, he'll, because he was staying at some monastery yeah, and then he would yeah. kind of go on these benders for like times <laughs> and, then, and then slowly kind of come back broken and would be repentant and yeah, weak and yeah, everything like that yeah. and like that's what she was saying like eventually he'll like deep in him yeah in, even in that weakness like deep in him is this want to be good and it's like right. it's also like it's the it's and i think it's only a way in which some of these writers can kind of portray these things yeah, yeah. which is like to it's how god judges things as well it like opens yeah. up some of that mystery which is like he right. looks at intention so often in terms of what someone wants to do as to what they're able to do are two different things right, right. and like he really does look into that interior aspect of their life and so then you know like that's what that was her hope for her brother that she yeah. says no like at the end of his life the lord will probably have him back in in the yeah. monastery which is like caring for him and everything yeah, like that yeah. but the other beautiful thing with now just even just thinking yeah. about him as a character as well is how even as he gets to these like like this point of just such brokenness in his mm -hmm. life he finds purpose in helping someone who doesn't really and isn't really grateful for his help you know yeah so like yeah. he goes yeah. through this act of just being because yeah. it's like almost he knows that this person who is expressing ingratitude to him for his help is somewhat an expression of his relationship to God <laughs> as God is always helping him. And yeah. yet his actions show a type of indifference or a lack, right, lack of gratitude. Right, right. I just thought that was so profound in the book, you know, where you yeah. just like, that's, that's, that's a deep insight there of, of like, of just weak human nature and how God yeah. works. But then very often how, <laughs> in our weakness then as well it can like really open us to helping others in a real way that isn't like right. coming at them helping them from above it's rather right. serving them from below right like you're right. like no i'm coming in as someone who's, who's <laughs> this is me and god like you know me helping you is nothing compared to what he does for me you know right. so it's like this it's like this right. type of i was right. you know i was really struck by that in uh yeah those, those scenes well, that's the answer not to be discouraged. God, God's always at work. He uses yeah. everything. So. Yeah. yeah. Well, thank you, Father, for chatting with us. And uh, so, and thanks for the great retreat and all your good work. Thanks be to God. It was good to be with you guys.